A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, beginning in the 23rd chapter with the 44th verse. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered His words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Romans, at this time in their history, 
were adamant about discouraging insurrection. Here's a little bit of what had gone on. The empire was not yet. It was in a mess. But a man named Octavian defeated another man named Mark Antony. Y'all saw that movie on TV, right, Cleopatra? You with me? And Octavian was declared to be Augustus Caesar. And the empire of Rome was born in 27 BC. The republic became an empire. And when you become empire, your duty becomes not letting people govern themselves, but telling them how they will be governed. And telling them that there will be no other king. We ain't having no more of that. There will only be Caesar. There will only be an emperor. Kind of gets me fired up. Makes me wish I'd been part of the revolution. But the Romans were much better at the British than discouraging revolution. That had a thing called crucifixion. And they just pretty much didn't care who they put on a cross. If you presented yourself as any kind of challenge to Caesar's authority, to the cross you went. If anyone dare call you a king or a great leader, if you dare incite any kind of thinking at all of freedom, that your nation and your people would be liberated from the iron grip of Rome, from the peace of Rome... You, friend, needed to be humiliated. You needed to be dehumanized and broken so that there would be no question that there was nothing special about you. And crucifixion fit the bill almost better than Cheerios fit the bill for breakfast. Jesus came to Jerusalem riding on a colt in accordance with the Scriptures, presenting Himself as the King of the Jews. And the eyes of Rome took note. The priests and the scribes took note. And they brought Him to Pilate. And they said, if you do not crucify Him, you are no friend to Caesar. And so Pilate put a sign over Jesus' head that said, The King, the King of the Jews. Sometime in April, either 30 A.D. or 33 A.D. On a major roadside, so that everyone in Judea could see that this is what Rome does to those who challenge for the throne. But Jesus wasn't the first and He wasn't the last. Before Jesus was crucified, the Romans had used the cross to humiliate, brutalize, and kill thousands upon 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 thousands. 
You get the point? Tens of thousands I have read. People like you and like me. People with names. People with families. With friends, followers, and enemies. People whose names were known to their families, to their friends, to their followers, and their enemies. Are you with me? Here's the odd things, dear ones. Of all those thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands that the Romans brutalized. We know the names of two of them. Do you hear that, church? Up until the day of Jesus. Now we know about Peter and Paul and those guys. Up until the day that Jesus was crucified. They didn't even care enough to tell us about the two criminals that hung with him. Because Rome made sure they amounted to nothing. To nothing. Their purpose was to make sure that people would say he was a liar and a counterfeit. We ain't following him no more. We know of two. You want to know who the other one was? I see some people shaking their heads. We don't want to go home preaching. This is fun. Jesus is the first and earliest that we know of. I presume he's the reason you're here today. Is that a safe assumption? The second dude's name, we didn't know until 1968. Do you hear that? 1,930-something years, all we knew of anyone who was crucified, the only name we knew in history was Jesus of Nazareth. Until some contractor messed up. He didn't set National Cathedral on fire, but he did something almost as bad. He dug up a Jewish tomb from the first century. And in that tomb they found an ossuary of a guy named Yehohanan. I don't know who named him, but that's rough, ain't it? Yehohanan. You know how they knew that? Because they used to stick you in a tomb. When they stuck Jesus in that tomb, the purpose was to let him rot. That's why the women are coming back to rub spices on him. They didn't inject you with formaldehyde. They let you rot. And then they would come back later and they would get your bones and they would either put it in a grave or they would take you home and put you in the closet. Skeletons in the closet, y'all with me? Are y'all out there or not? Grief. Grief. So Yehoanon is laying there and some guy on a backhoe digs him up. And all of a sudden, we know about two people that the Romans crucified out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And you know what? I'm pretty doggone convinced that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we wouldn't know a dang thing about it. You hear that, church? How else would you explain that? 
How else would we explain all these thousands of people who had mothers who loved them, fathers who loved them, grandfathers who loved them, enemies who hated them, and would have liked nothing better than to tell all these people, oh, they killed that guy. You know who I'm talking about, Delane, that jerk that works over there at the gas station. The Romans got hold of him. But we don't remember any of them. But the one that Rome couldn't kill. The one whom God raised from the dead. It convinces me. I hope that speaks to you. Isn't it astounding? One. Up until that time, there was zero hope that anyone could outlast the evil of Rome. There was zero hope that anyone could survive the sin and death that the empire of Rome represented to the whole world. But on the third day, the dead body of Jesus walked out of a tomb alive. As I said this morning at the sunrise service, I saw a lot of memes this weekend showing empty tombs, acting like that's the good news. There's empty tombs everywhere. The good news is a risen Savior. And you know, some people will say the good news today is I get to die and go to heaven, but that's not the good news. Some people will say that the good news is that sin and death have been defeated, and that's not the whole of it. Both of those things are deeply important and near and dear to my heart. And you know that because you've come here before. But dear ones, the resurrection of Jesus is about so much more. Isaiah says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that the fullness of God will fill all of it. And there will be no more despair. Sin and death will have no place there. There will be no more tears. And in Revelation, when John sees the one seated on the throne, he hears him say, Behold, I make all things new. And the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb, that began. The making of everything new. And that's why we know His name. That's why we know His name. I pray that you will take that to heart and let that hope fill you.
Because every minute you draw breath is Easter. Every breath you draw in Christ is a sign that all things are changing. That the day Jesus walked out of the tomb, everything changed, and death and sin and the enemies of God no longer have power. The cosmic Christ rules. Because a people remember his name. Amen.